Wherever you are, my name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 230 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. On episode 229, I talked about summer hours, and uh, as if that wasn't enough, summer hours showing up a day or two late. We're uh, we're a week behind now. Um, it, what can I say, folks? It's the end of August. The subways in the morning are half empty. The offices are half empty. Summer hours. Just soak them up. We've got just like one more week of them and then it's back to reality. So um, we're we're making do today. You know, we've got an okay movie. We've got a time that's a little late. But we have a great guest. So that's where I make up for the summer hours. Once upon a time, he was part of the Critical Mass cast. And uh, he was a frequent... Uh, commenter and shower upper on uh, the Rotary Cinecast and many other sites along the way. Um, now we just uh, we see him around town and we see him at uh, Fan Expo and we just yell at him and we're like, hey man, what's going on? Uh, but he's here tonight uh, putting in some summer hours. Um, Corey Pierce is here. How are you, Corey Pierce? Good. Good? Yeah, Doing well? Yeah. You're, you're still in summer hours? Like next week everything's going to get like ramping back up for you? Um... I hope not. I mean, it's just... <laughs> no, you're like, what are you talking about, dude? Uh, this year, is there's too much 2019. Yes, there, I, there I is. Yeah. I, I've kind of almost written it off. Like I, I'm ready yeah, for summer I'm, to end. Yes, this is very, very true. So um, hopefully we can we can chill just a little bit and, uh, and be able to move into the autumn with uh, some optimism. Um, a few notes, though, off the top of the show before we get into... Um, pressing business. We are right on the precipice of TIFF, the 44th annual Toronto International Film Festival. It takes place September 5th to the 15th in my hometown of Toronto, Canada. There's galas, famous people, happenings all over town, and lots and lots and lots of movies. The site will be covering 10 to 12 movies uh, that I get to see, so do stop by for some writing. I realize the writing has taken a bit of a backseat the last few months, but we're hoping to get the machine up and running again. The podcast, though, will be sending out audio postcards in a series I like to call Wicked Little Town. We sit down somewhere in the middle of the festival, we grab whoever we can grab, and we catch up uh, on how the week has been going. So uh, watch the feed for those. There should be somewhere between three and five of those episodes arriving sometime after September 5th, and you can hear about how the week is going and uh, be with us vicariously. Next, though, along with the TIFF dispatches comes a September hiatus for the matinee cast. It just gives me a small chance to catch my breath and reset for a new season, uh, map out some autumn shows. Um, September is kind of a wasteland for movies anyway, so it's not like we're going to be missing out on much. Um, so don't adjust your set. We will be taking a planned break through the next month, but we'll ba be back for a new season of shows the first Monday in October, um, and it's a barn burden. We're going to start October with uh, an episode dedicated to Joker, so please come back for that. But on episode 230... We will be discussing Ready or Not and turning the record over to play the other side. First, this is Know Your Enemy. This 
Mr. Pierce first showed up on episode 136 where we talked about Ex Machina. We learned the first film he'd ever seen in the theater was Pinocchio. The last film he'd seen at the time was the animated G.I. Joe movie. The worst film he's ever seen is an animated version of Titanic. His unseen classic or essential was Seven Samurai. Still? I haven't seen it. Still! Awesome. The film that he wished he made for various reasons is Freddy Got Fingered. Then, on episode 158, Corey returned, we talked about the nice guys. We learned the film that he digs that nobody else does is Speed Racer. The film everybody else likes that he does not is Drive. The last movie to make him cry is The Little Prince. In the movie of his life, he would be played by, oh, I can't remember the character's name. He's Foggy on Daredevil. Uh, Eldon Henson. There we go. The movie he was watching next was the BBC version of The Diary of Anne Frank. Uh, summer Before Last, Corey showed up for, to talk about Baby Driver on episode 179. We learned the film that made his love of film turn a corner is Election. The first date movie is uh, <laughs> Batman Forever at a $1 cinema. His sick day movie is Empire Records. And the movie to leave him speechless is Melancholia. And his epitaph, just to screw with people and confuse them, is Feed Me a Stray Cat from American Psycho. All right, time for round four, sir. What is a film you like? but you never need to see again. Uh, Hotel Rwanda. Okay. Um, it's just one of those things, it's just like, it's too depressing. You know, I remember, like I, I bought it twice, both on DVD and Blu-ray, even <laughs> though I never watched it after buying a copy of either. It's I mean, just that, like, that might be the reason for your answer right there. Uh, yeah. Um, it's just like, I remember like watching it, like it hit me super hard and just have like this sort of thing, like, you grow up being told about like the Holocaust, and then you sort of see one sort of been happening like while you were living, and you're like have just broken down like oh can never let this happen again, and then it does, yeah, <laughs> and it keeps happening, and so it's just one of those things where like when you see just sort of echoes, and I'm just gonna watch it and see references to things happening now, and it's just too too much. It's a film, you know, in in a way, it's kind of one of those films. It's like eating your vegetables. It is really good. Like we, we, we should we should say as much that it's not a film that like it's eating your vegetables because it's good for you. It is a film that is a really well made movie, well acted movie, really affecting movie. Um, that uh, actually did win. Speaking of TIFF, won the People's Choice Award that year in two thousand four. Um, it's a it, like you. It's a movie. I don't think I've seen it since I saw it in a the theater. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I did go see it willingly. But it's a it's a tough pill to swallow because you remember that all of this happened, you know, while the world watched. That, that that's that's the crazy thing too is this whole story is set back in 1994. So while we were consumed with OJ driving away from the police and what Nancy and Tanya were doing, there was a genocide going on that half the world just didn't really seem to care about. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I, I'm, I, I get you, you know, like yeah. there are movies like that. I certainly, and I mean, it's probably why the, the, I designed the question movies like that. I will go see them willingly and, and, you know, and, and take away from them everything I can, but I, I, I don't think I could ever buy them, let alone twice. Yeah. Like it's one thing to sort of have a catharsis once, but kind of going back to it is a bit more difficult yeah and i guess only the real tragedy though is that something can affect you so much but things it's been so long since i've seen it that i honestly don't remember any of the details like at all there's there's several i couldn't things, map to you the yeah there's several things that i do i mean it's weird but i i remember 
one of the things is when one of the trucks pulls up and there's a UN convoy that can get out a few people, mm -hmm. uh, like they're trying to get out like the hotel workers. One of the things I remember is one of the characters says, no Rwandans. You know, mm -hmm. it's, oh, that, that movie is, it's such a bitter pill to swallow. It's, it's, I can totally understand that answer. And it's not the kind of thing that really goes above and beyond artistically where you can say, all right, well, I'm going to just watch it for the hotel sequence or whatever, yeah. you know, like, like that, something like that. It's not going to be a, uh, hey, let me show you how good my 4K looks. Yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, no, very good answer, sir. What is a film that genuinely freaked you out? Um, while I would say the scariest movie I've ever seen is Enron, the smartest guys in the room, the <laughs> freakiest movie I've seen is uh, Wreck. Specifically the end sequence. I watched most of that like on DVD at home in the dark mm -hmm. um, on just some hot night, just sort of lying in the living room in my underwear on the couch. And okay. the thing is we got to that like sort of end sequence and like halfway while it was even happening, I hit pause and I basically like ran outside to where my roommates were having a cigarette, like in my like pajama bottoms and, and, and just like, all right, I just, I'm just out here. I need a, I need a breather. I wonder if that I movie is actually kind of getting it. a little bit forgotten. Tell people what, so when we say wreck, we mean REC is in record. Tell yeah. people what that movie's about. Uh, also it was remade here as quarantine in yeah. North America. And there's been three sequels to it. Um, one of them, which is good. Wreck 2 is supposed to be pretty good. Wreck 2 is pretty I think good. I've actually seen Wreck 2. Yeah. Uh, Wreck 4 is supposedly okay. There's a Wreck 4? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, but uh, Record is basically, uh, I guess, it, it, is it found footage? I guess well, it's found it's, footage. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Spanish. You're following like a very Single sort POV. of... Single POV. Yeah. You're, you're following sort of like one of those inherently like... She's like a very April O'Neil type of like very likable like reporter who's just supposed to be covering like... A, like this is this is the world at night. Let's spend the night with like firefighters and right. stuff like that. And so they respond to like a like a a building that's basically has something weird kind of going on. And it's basically like a like sort of a zombie slash virus sort of thing that's basically taking over everything. The building gets quarantined, and you just sort of it's like comes sort of haunted house. We're sort of following through as they're sort of uh, finding their way out of it. But uh, eventually. I'm going to spoil it because go ahead. Well. Yeah. Uh, you get up to basically kind of the source like the, of where it's happening and it's basically in the dark and you're only see it like in night vision back when night vision really actually was sort of new and, <laughs> and worked. Um, and the, uh, basically the cursed like uh, woman is very Catholic kind of thing going on um, is so like tall and slender and perfectly demonic. And like the, uh, the actions and like brutality of like, that person sort of screeching in the dark and attacking the camera is just so intense. Yeah. And it, does, it's not, it doesn't feel CGI. They actually found, like, a, there was a person that actually looks like that. They, they just accentuated her, like, grossness yeah. as much as possible. And it's just extremely uh, effective. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect storm movie for you. Like, it's not like the kind of thing where the found footage movies really mess you up or the zombie no. movies really mess you up. This is one that is... The, the the math of the equation yeah. comes up with a yeah. sum that is really really yeah. affecting yeah yeah to me like if, if if you have like a in a horror movie like if if the victim if if it's a person who you feel like like this real this person really does not deserve what's happening to them yeah and the, and the thing happening to them is something that is just 
like perfectly sort of visualized and, and horrific and tragic. It's just like it works. Yeah. Like a similar example would be there's a Japanese movie called The Eye. Yeah. And thing is that the character in that I movie love is that like, movie. I've like, almost forgotten about yeah, that movie. Um, the, 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 the girl in that movie like does not deserve what happened to her. She, she couldn't see her whole life. She no. gets her eyes and all of a sudden this happens. Yeah. That's so unfair. Yeah. And, oh uh, and, and it there's just, a scene in that movie that's coming back to me right mm-hmm. now that I don't even want to say is it the, the elevator? No, it's, it's the, it's the bridge. Okay. Yeah, the, the bridge with all the cars. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my god, that movie was so good. Yeah. It's been so long since I've seen either one of those, but um, it's crazy because I do remember when I went and started doing my my horror syllabus of of you know wanting to catch up on just horror in general, but certainly modern horror. Wreck was one of the ones that came up a lot, mm-hmm. and and for good reason why it is really really affecting. I don't think I could have handled it in the theater. At home, it plays even scarier because you know you want to be safe yeah. on your couch, but you still feel uh, yeah. That's a that's a good answer for that one. Um, okay, let's flip side of that. What is a movie that always makes you laugh? Uh, this one was sort of difficult because most of the comedies I like are ones where I'm like sort of like are just clever ones where I'm sort of just kind Sparking. of grinning. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Uh, like you're in the loops kind of sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but for me, like if, if I'm gonna actually like laugh, laugh, uh, you need ba- I basically need like uh, a mix of like non actor acting. Um, non sequiturs uh, and facial expressions. Like you need to get a little bit more sort of slapstick or even into anti-comedy. Okay. And for that reason, a very uh, specific mix here, sir. Yeah. Uh, I'm saying UHF. Oh God. Okay. Uh, Tell people about UHF. UHF is Weird Al's movie. Uh, His only one. Yeah. Um, called classic at, at this point. Uh, yes. Um, and he basically um, inherits like a, a struggling TV station and um, he basically um, just reprograms everything with sort of the most bizarre sort of stuff he can think of because he's just got a weird imagination. Yeah. And so, and you've got um, Michael Richards back well before Seinfeld, where he sort of opens up like kind of like a kids show that has a lot of weird stuff. You've got like bizarre commercials with like everything from like seal clubbing to spatula city, and <laughs> just like uh, a complete basically. Um, just completely throw everything against the wall. It's like every kernel of an idea that Weird Al couldn't turn into a fully fledged song or, is yeah, in this sketch. movie. Yeah, yeah. You and know? there's and there's like musical segues and dream sequences and yeah. stuff too. But it's it's almost sort of it's 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 definitely sort of in the Zucker Abrams Zucker yeah. zone. Okay. Um, I prefer it actually to those Zucker movies. Right. Um, and Is there a part in particular that always makes you that really gets you every time? Let's you, see. You're grinning already. Uh, supplies. <laughs> um, and uh, Wheel of Fish. Wheel of Fish. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say yeah. that's so one thing I remember more than anything else is Wheel of Fish. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there needs to be a Criterion edition of that movie. No, there's just like that MGM <laughs> version. It does have one of the better. No, I'm saying they, they should they should yeah, issue it, that. It has one of the better commentary tracks that ever exists. It's weird out, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he and he gives you basically like it's like rapid fire. Like he came prepare. Like here, give, he gives you all the addresses and everything, so you can make your own oh UHF tour. Okay. It's like very early in the commentary game where like he just sort of gets up like out of the frame and you see sort of see him over top of the shot, like yelling at you. That's so funny. Okay. uh, Yeah. I'm well overdue for a rewatch of that movie. So well played. Thank you for that. Uh, Keeping in mind that this is usually about an 80 minute show. What is your favorite movie soundtrack? Uh, Another difficult choice. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm giving two answers. One very quick and one a little bit more elaborate. Um, Empire records, 
because yes. uh, I, and it, it's kind of I said Empire Records on a different answer for a different round of questions. But I'll be frank that I don't even think necessarily the Empire Records soundtrack like musically is necessarily that great. It's just to me like all of those songs that, that appear so prominently in the film. That's um, that's back in the era where the songs that were in the movie almost never made it onto the album. Yeah, right? because case, of all they, kinds of they're, rights they're issues. There. They're yeah, all so, there. Yeah, so yeah. there's all kinds of songs that are in that movie that mm-hmm. are great yeah. that don't make it in onto the actual album. Yeah, but the the album still has like everything in the uh, on the album is in the movie. Yeah, and some of them are better than others. Yeah, but because I'm actually just sort of like so ingrained with that, it's like just sort of like a way to sort of go on your nostalgia trip along with uh, when you can't don't have time to watch the movie. Right. But your uh, deeper answer. But my deeper answer uh, is one that where like the music is more specific. Like the movie is based around the music itself. Okay. And that's a mighty wind. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, that, that answer has not come up yet. Uh, I love the Mighty Wind soundtrack. And I think it's my favorite movie of all time is Spinal Tap, huh. but I like the Mighty Wind soundtrack more. Okay. Um, the Mighty Wind soundtrack is based uh, entirely of just of three fictional bands. You've got the New Main Street Singers, who are doing sort of like the toothpaste commercial kind of like songs, where they're making songs about Jonah and other Bible stories. Right. And it's like... Uh, then all, you've all got singing the, uh, in all singing in unison. Too. Yeah, yeah. It's a twelve part band that yeah, they don't yeah. actually it's attempt very to harmony. Lawrence Welke kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, then you've got the um, the folksmen who are kind of very more, you know, not necessarily like not Simon and Garfunkel kind of folksy, but like a little way more like barbershop. Like if like they're if you're, um they're Peter Paul and Mary if it was yeah, three dudes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're you know like the ones that like are have very pretentious like mythological songs and yes. like we're going to tell this old songs about you know like john henry still driving man kind right, of songs right and but they'll have also have like a weird cover of start me up which really accentuates how awful those lyrics are I've forgotten about start me up um, thank you for that but also more than anything is the mitch and mickey which is o'hara and um what's his name eugene levy eugene levy shit's creek himself is, yeah the music that they make together is like actually sincere like it's not jokey yeah and they're so good together that I've always felt that they needed to make an actual proper album. Like, yes. it's so sweet and sincere and actually heartfelt uh, that just sort of the combination, like the ping pong balling around those three styles over the uh, thing. And uh, they're actually all really well produced songs that um, I can pop that on sort of anytime. It's it's a rare sort of film that is a it's it's a love letter to music, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just like from the feet up right into like how the songs are crafted. Like they, they don't short anything. This band of merrymakers that Christopher Guest brings together, you know, they seem like they're just hanging around and riffing and seeing what they can come up with, mm-hmm. but it's all so well crafted. They make it look easy, but you can tell that they've really worked it and worked it and worked it to get it just so yeah same thing with the music all of that music that's in i mean you know you could say what you want about the music that's in spinal tap and it's the same sort of thing that all that music is so incredible that you think it's real yeah you know a real metal band same thing with with a mighty wind all of those folk songs they sound real yeah you know they, they sound like something that's been around since the 60s yeah that that would have been played at the gaslight or something or probably could have been like cast-offs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from you know uh Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah, you could. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say that uh, T, like T Bone Burnett, yeah. would completely approve of this soundtrack. Absolutely, yeah. he would. No, I, that's that is a that is an amazing soundtrack. That's a fantastic mm-hmm. movie. That's another one of those movies. I, if it, if I like happen upon it, I'll lose hours just watching. It. And and that is one that will make me laugh out loud every time. 
Um, because that is a funny, funny hey, movie. What happened? Right. That part? Yeah. Every time. I mean, yeah. yeah that that yeah. gets me. And, you know, or even stuff like Eugene Levy talking about how he was abused as a child, but it was mostly musical in nature. <laughs> um, you know, like stuff like that is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, hey, just for all that, we'll include, a, we'll include a, a track from Mighty Wind at the end of this show. All right. Last but not least for now, what is a movie that you love, but seemingly nobody else has heard of? Well, in India, everybody knows this movie. Okay. Uh, but over here, uh, it's a, a movie. Uh, I was weirdly, I wrote this down yesterday, but I got one of those Facebook memories today. Mm. And to the date, I took a picture of the poster in the theaters saying, what the hell is this? Okay. okay. Uh, it's a movie from India called Barfi with an exclamation mark. This movie was released in 2012. B-A-R-F-E? B-A-R-F-I exclamation mark. If you don't okay. put the exclamation mark in an IMDb, you'll get the wrong Barfi. Okay, please continue. From, <laughs> um, and basically, uh, it was India's uh, nomination uh, for the Oscars that year. It got uh, knocked out. Like, there was a controversy over... Um, like, its eligibility? Um, no, it had a controversy over what was called... Uh, what they considered plagiarism. Oh, um, but I'll get to that. Um, this movie looks charming as hell. Yeah. Um, so I saw that post, a poster of him riding the bike in a the theater, and it's called Barfi. And I'm like, what the hell? And I took a picture of it. Then we saw that it was like uh, added with like a big dump of Bollywood movies like on Netflix like the next year. And we're like, okay, we have to watch at least a little bit of Barfi. And then two and a half very long hours later, because Bollywood movies are very long, right. we were like, oh my God, Barfi is amazing. Barfi is like, let's watch more Bollywood movies. And they didn't take. But <laughs> Barfi... What, what is this? What is this good. opus about? Um, Barfi stars uh, Ranbir Kapoor, who's kind of a big Bollywood star, and Priyanka Chopra, who you probably know from at least some other. Uh, she's been in some North something American that we know. Things. Okay. Um, it takes place in the seventies, and it's sort of like a love triangle where, like, uh, he's sort of uh, a deaf and mute. The, he's got a person that he's longing for, but she goes missing, and then he sort of falls in love with like an autistic person, but the other person comes back. So, uh, but thing is, it's more like almost more about layers, but it's more a vehicle for just like a whole bunch of like charming, like, uh, it's sort of like if you combine, like, it's very Amelie in a lot of ways. I'm getting that impression. That was one of them. It was, it was sort of actually even accused of plagiarizing some of Amelie's musical style for one. Okay. But the other thing it was considered plagiaristic for is that, and I don't consider plagiarism at all, is that the movie literally recreates like faithfully several scenes from old like Chaplin and Buster Keaton movies. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to start throwing stones at that, I'm sure this movie isn't the first to do that. Yeah, but I mean, like, he's literally doing, like, the the difficult scenes of, like, the, the ladder going over the, okay. over the wall. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the stuff from um, from uh, Singing in the Rain on the couch sequence. Oh, okay. Uh, and the other, like, I forget if it's Chaplin or Buster Keaton, but it's, like, there's, like, a sequence where he's, like, playing around, like, with the in the doorway with, like, the... With the screen doors shutting and opening and stuff. That like sounds that. like a that sounds like a key. Um, yeah, but and, and they're all done extremely well. Yeah. But it's more almost like an ex, it's it, it's it falls way more in the homage territory for me. Okay. Which sort of like you've got a deaf mute character, so they have just find this different way to sort of be charming. It's yeah, not yeah. in there for the sake of doing it in there. Like interesting, he's constantly like a prankster on the run. So it's just their sort of way of injecting into all, all and of is that. This, is this still on Netflix? It, it might be. Okay. Like I, 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 gotta, I gotta look for this movie. I, I put in so much work to find a Blu-ray of it, <laughs> and then I started seeing it at, like, BMV once in a while. Of course, yeah, because everybody, bu- like, people bought it, and they're like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, it's, wow. it's probably still kicking around, but okay. I definitely recommend it. Uh, I think it's, like, 8.1 on my IMDb. Okay. I will like definitely that. have to But it, it is 
Barfy. From what? From when? 2012. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's not even that old. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll definitely have to look for that. There we go. That's more about Corey. We'll learn more about him when he shows up next time. But uh, for today, we need to get to the new slang. Uh, we're uh, going to go for something scary today. The new slang is ready or not, so come on back right after this. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and make you want me. Now that I escape. Ready or Not is directed by Matt Bettinelli Olpen and Tyler Gillett. It's written by Guy Busick and R. Christopher Murphy. Stars Samara Weaving, Mark O'Brien, Adam Brody, Henry Cherney, Andy McDowell, and a whole bunch of other people. Ready or Not is about Grace and her wedding to Alex Ladumas. Alex is an heir to an absurdly rich brood, having made their fortune as a board game brand. Think Parker Brothers, but with way more issue. The Ladumases, Ladumai, Ladumay, have a tradition dating back more than 100 years that anyone marrying into the family must play a game on the night of their wedding card is pulled from the deck. There's a game on the card. Everyone in the family plays. Could be Old Maid, could be Checkers, we don't know. Grace pulls Hide and Seek, the one card in the deck that comes with a caveat. You see, if Hide and Seek is pulled, not only must the new groom or bride be the one to hide, but they will also be hunted by the entire family looking to kill them before sunup or else. They say that it doesn't matter if you win or lose, but how you play the game. Sportsmanship, tenacity, teamwork, all important when it comes to looking back on what went down before the final score is tallied. That's not a bad metaphor when it comes to film either, since it is less often what a film is about that matters so much as how it is about it. So, pop quiz, hotshot. Before we get into whether or not the film is good, how did it play the game? Oh, man. <laughs> it, uh... It stuck a little too, too, too close to the rule book. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, I think Ready or Not is the most okay movie of the year. <laughs> um, you should put that on the poster. Yeah. Um, there, you, you, most people, I think, are going to have you know, a fine time with it. Uh, it's just weirdly one of those movies that, based on a sort of template and script and sort of cast of characters, I watch it and think, like, I can picture the Tim Burton version of this. I can picture... The Sam Raimi version of this, which is going to be very similar except better. Yeah. Uh, I can picture a Wes Anderson version of this. I can picture an Edgar Wright version of this. Just basically, there's like, this is like the premises within so many other wheelhouses of people who would basically take what's there and accentuate certain aspects or flesh a few things out within their own sort of style book. And so, uh, ready or not, as it exists, you know, has a nice cast, looks fine, has some funny moments. Uh, and a metaphor underlying everything that is sort of inherently timely. But uh, as a whole, it just sort of feels like it left a lot on the table. I mean, to, like, to use my own metaphor of how did it play the game, it played the game very conservatively. You know, yeah. it, got, it, got, it, got its, it got its minutes, it contributed, it didn't really score any goals, didn't let up any goals, it just made sure that it went out there and contributed and that, and that just called it a day and cash its check. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's there are players that are playing this game much better. There are players that are playing this game far worse. I got to say that much. But it's not doing anything 
to really earn its money. It's not doing anything to earn any kind of word of mouth. It's not doing anything to earn another game is what it's doing. You know, like that's the kind of thing, like to, to, to take the metaphor yeah. one step further, you play a fun like board game, forget about video games, but like you get together with your friends, you pour some wine, pour some beer, and you're playing like Cards Against Humanity or whatever the hell you're playing. You have so much fun playing that first round or that first hour, you want to keep on playing. That's not this game. Mm-hmm. This game, you play it once or twice. It's like, yeah, okay, I got it, and then and then yeah. off you go, right? Um, I, I take it like you, like you said, you're just kind of all right with this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I've had sort of like back and forth on it uh, yeah. on on a lot of different elements. Okay, um, where um, so like okay, I guess that you know like you're trying to re second guess like oh am I just sort of like and being a stick in the mud, am I not just incapable of just, like, accepting the fun? Am I being sort of too critical over something that's yeah, not... Yeah, yeah, sure, that, that's fair. That seriously. But I think it, it's just so sort of blatant of how much they have to play with. Mm. Like, that sort of just doesn't... That doesn't um, go the extra mile or take a risk. Okay. We keep throwing our game metaphors in there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> and, and so that... that w- Start taking drinks, people. Yeah, um, that whenever, like, there's somebody who really is sort of giving it their all, it draws maybe more attention to the ones that are... Ju- and the uh, the segments and other things that just are, seem to be kind of phoning it in. Like, uh, it's uneven in that way that it just draws attention to what's missing. Um, yeah, What yeah. does work more than anything is Samara Weaving, who uh, I realized is uh, Hugo Weaving's niece. Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of funny because now, like, when somebody says that and you look at her, it's like, oh, yeah, you mm-hmm. see that really pronounced yeah, jaw like Maya structure. Hawk. Yeah, 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 Maya Hawk is the other one, too, this year. Yeah. It's kind of been um, a banner year for that. She's kind of a Margot Robbie lookalike. Yes. I try not to hold that against her too much. I've been, Yeah, I've been calling her not Margot Robbie. Yeah, but she has that sort of charisma that even when uh, some character is sort of underwritten and not given enough of an arc, which I'd say is the case with Most her. Most of them, yeah. Um, she <laughs> really sort of has that inherent sort of like uh, just it factor that can get you behind them pretty much immediately. Mm-hmm. Like she's not plastic. Like you're not waiting for her to, you know, like you're, and you're actually even sort of maybe concerned for her when it gets to certain situations. Yeah. Like, like you're rooting for her. Yes. And when I say like that, I mentioned Sam Raimi, like she's a very Sam Raimi kind of cast, like, like a drag me to hell kind of, um, heroine. Oh, um, definitely. And I get, I noted that she was on the Ash versus Evil Dead series. So, oh, was she? Yeah, as oh, okay. a recurring character. Okay. So, uh, I guess that sort of fits in there. She it's, just I mean, that. a movie like this where it's it's kind of crazy because on the one hand she's kind of playing a final girl. Yeah. But that's a very deep uh, miscalculate, like um, mislabeling of her character because she's not the final girl. She is the one who is hunted. Yeah. Right. Like the entire rest of the group, it, we are, are all gunning for her. She's mm-hmm. they're not all getting picked off one by one. Some of them do get picked off along the way, mm-hmm. but it's not like she's the the um, the Jamie Lee Curtis to survive at the end of this movie. She's the she's the prey. Yeah. And she embodies that really well. Uh, it's it's kind of funny because I remember walking away from this movie. I heard some people who were walking ahead of me that just loathed it. And they were talking about how much this woman screamed, like how much all she could do was scream and run. I was like, I don't think we were watching the same movie. I think you yeah. were checking out an awful lot if you think that all she was doing was screaming. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a lot. There are several times where she wails and for good reason, because she goes through some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
the moments in between, um, the moments where she's got to calculate her next move or the moments where she actually has to have a conversation with somebody, um, including at the beginning. The beginning of this movie is, is really well built where she's talking to all of the relatives and you kind of learn their mm -hmm. whole dynamic and everything like that. And her introduction into this clan yeah. um, is, is really well executed and she carries that part well. Yeah, and I think she has a, a sense – well, her character is like an orphan. Yeah. Who's been through some stuff. Yeah. She finally, like, she knows that she's marrying into a weird family, but she's got the sort of relief that, like, maybe finally things are going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so when and, she's and going she through... really, like, let's, let's set this down. She really loves Alex, too. Yeah. That's the thing is, like, she's not any kind of a... She's not looking to score with a big payday or a big inheritance or anything like that. Mm -hmm. She is deeply drawn to Alex, and she would do whatever he wanted to do, whether it was this big, lavish wedding that they do have or just eloping somewhere yeah. off and yeah. wherever. But I think that's one reason maybe like uh, where like they don't necessarily flesh out her character and the arc of her is told more through like the muddying of her dress than anything she's sort of saying. Yeah. But um, the, she carries everything that's happened to her with like a very sort of, of course. Right. Like this is like an insane situation. We got satanic rituals. You got people who you thought were normal carrying axes and crossbows. But it's almost like, of course, there's like, of course, it's always me. Like this is exactly what was going to happen. I mean, uh, I, I, and, and I do, I do like that about the movie. Relatable. Like, she's never, like, she's she never looks at it with like disbelief. Yeah, of course, you know, of course, there's a goat shit. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so when they're following through with like next plan of escape or letting yourself get torn up, there's an element of that's obviously inherently supposed to be desperate, right? But it's also like she feels like smart. Like she doesn't, you don't feel like you're a move ahead of of her uh, uh, as far as like actually, like it's not. She's not like a dumb horror movie character no no and i it's it's weird because i think in some ways i think that works against this movie like you never you never feel really deeply in peril like you never really feel like she's she's completely screwed or how she's going to get out of it like i i think it's it's almost this is going to sound like a strange critique of the character and the movie but she almost seems too smart you know okay. like i'm i never worried that she was not going to be able to get out of mm. a particular situation even right down to later on when she really kind of gets yeah. cornered i would say that but i would say it's more like I, I felt more for her because i don't i actually i literally didn't want to see her getting physically harmed oh yeah yeah absolutely it, and it was on more top that, of that it was it didn't come down to live or die it was yeah. just more that i liked her enough that i didn't want to see her hand going through a nail no or yeah anything like that like that sort of uh level of yeah thing. no no th there's definitely that and i think the other thing too the other reason why i thought that she was going to be okay is because the Ladumises are a bunch of idiots. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean that, that that's that, that's the greater evil here, and like mm -hmm. that's that's the greater sin with this movie and how it played the game. And that's why I thought of it a lot about I mean, sort of the Tim Burton sort of yeah, is that they're, yeah like, they're like a bunch of cartoons. It's the family from Beetlejuice. Yes, right, exactly. You know, and I, literally when I down to one character, it looks a lot and acts a lot like Otho, yeah. the one guy that's from or from uh, or from Black. I mean, now does this movie is okay? Are these characters just dumb or does this movie know how dumb it is? Because there is a scene where a character literally YouTubes how to use a crossbow. Yeah. You know? Is, is, so is that meta or is that this movie just being dumb? Um, what I think it is, and this is a phrase that I use derisively and I think I came upon me because I noticed that they had some Canadian actors in there, is that one of my big problems with any media whenever it's like has a lot of Canadian actors in it – sorry, Canadian actors mm – -hmm. We love you. There is too much – sort of winking like we know we're in a movie okay um they're not like and i find that's everything from like 
your corner gases mm-hmm. to uh kim's convenience yeah yeah there's yeah. just there's like a level of ironic detachment there okay um that that just kind of turns me off so with this you wanted more you wanted more irony and less detachment yeah okay. and uh i'd say like it's not that Americans are incapable of doing this too, because I think I have mixed feelings about Joss Whedon's writing, mm-hmm. and I because I think he does that a lot too, like trying to be like in and out at the same time right. of, of, right. of his thing. Sure, and so that's why like I think this movie has some Cabin in the Woods vibes as well, mm-hmm. um, especially maybe a little bit thematically, I guess, uh, of just thing you know putting some through through something because they they have to. It's like necessary. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I just necessarily don't necessarily enjoy that ironic detachment unless you're going to be, uh, as Fozzie Bear would say, louder and funnier. <laughs> you know, um, it's just that they're all sort of beings a little bit winky and detached. Yeah. But what, the way that they're doing it is they're they're just maybe not taking it far enough. They want to both be a little they, like the movies stylistically and character wise, both wants to feel like kind of serious. Yeah. And, and look creepy actually creepy yeah while at the same time be like playing around like the like the um the very uh mute um well not she's not mute eventually but the very stern like the grandmother or aunt the aunt yeah the, yeah like i mean the aunt is the one of the ledumuses ledume uh that that really seems like she poses a genuine threat yeah. the rest of them don't look like they could you know operate a set of tinker toys yeah but she looks like she might just cut a bitch. Yeah, you know, just just for just for kicks. Like she's she's bitter that she had to go. She's through. the one at the wedding who doesn't clap. Yeah, that's the, that was the one little touch I love. Is that everybody mm-hmm. at the wedding gets up, everybody's clapping, everybody's really happy. Yeah. She and she's sitting front row too, and she does not clap. Like they really paint that character as the I don't want this person here yeah. type of type of thing. I thought that she was a grandmother when she first showed up, or I thought she was like. A first wife or something. She, that, that, that's another weird thing about this movie is it introduces some of them, but not really all of them. Yeah, some people like it's weird that some of them weren't at the wedding; they just show up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, there, there's relatives like that. There's relatives who are late for funerals. Yeah, right. I guess. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that's yeah. You're right. This movie it it is often detached. It lays some things down that it then doesn't pick back up. Mm-hmm. It. The, the one thing that's weird about it is that it's really, really handsome. You know, yeah. that house is incredible. Everybody looks so damn good. Horror as a genre is is as popular as it is because it's usually cheap. But this is not a movie that I would ever say really looks cheap. Yeah. You know, everything, like the way everybody's done up to that house, to the weapons they're using. It's efficient. It is. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also very lavish. Like, you can tell that they're... They really wanted to use this house. Yeah. That you know, the, the one thing, the, the thing that I always come back to is something like Hateful Eight, where okay. they made a great big deal about how they were shooting for 70 millimeter and they spent the whole time shooting 70 millimeter inside of a cottage. Yeah. Right. However, they, I'd say that cottage has more character than the house as a whole. Well, the house has a lot of character, but they and, and they move through it. They move through the dumbwaiters and they move through the kitchen and they move through that game room and everything. They, they, they make a lot of use out of that house in the courtyard outside, like both in the daytime and the nighttime, they really use that set to great, like that set is a character, you know, but it's not memorable enough that it becomes like the house. It's not the overlook hotel. No, it's not the house in sight. It's not the Bates motel either. No. Um, but it is really handsome and everybody looks good. The film is shot, you know, capably, but it doesn't do enough in 
the writing and how it plays this game yeah. to really make me... And that's where I would sort of go into the overall allegory of sure. the entire film. Okay. Because I've debated, I've been going back and forth about how much of it was intended or not. Um, I do believe it's intentional. Yeah. Well, it's just a matter of, uh, there are some decisions that are made, and I guess it would be spoiler for the ending warning for people. Right. Um, is that overall, you know, these are rich people. They're, um, and there's an overall theme of, that I think is very timely. Like, rich people are not like us. You know, you enter their world, they have their own rules. Uh, you literally play their game. Yeah, you play their game. Uh, they're unaccountable to their own actions. They can literally just keep the bodies in a pit in the gra- in the in in a barn with the goats. Yeah, uh, even even the kids are in on it, um, and uh, they basically don't see you as a a real person. Uh, you, you're 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 different than them. See, it's but funny, they also that, feel like they're do they're doing what they have to do. In it's order funny to that actually wasn't lifestyle. the allegory I thought you were going with. The allegory okay. I thought you were going to go with is one of the core visuals of this movie is her is is Grace's wedding dress. Like Grace has this beautiful lace, um, very fitted bodiced wedding dress mm-hmm. um, that she spends the entire movie in. Yeah, and we begin with her getting ready, like her practicing her vows, and we catch like the end of the ceremony, and then she's in the dress like the whole rest of the time. And as it becomes the, a funeral dress eventually. Well, but what I was gonna say is actually as the game is going along, that dress gets torn and gets pulled and gets muddier and muddier and dirtier and dirtier. And I was thinking that that's actually an, a pretty neat little allegory for the business of weddings like you know um you've been married you've been married now what like five years ago uh four yeah <laughs> i like the heads to think mm-hmm. about that um i'm coming up on 10 mm-hmm. and you know we both know how much a wedding costs and it's and we had somewhat modest ones um there are people out there who spend tons of money on on the weddings and on the dress and on the venue and on the party and then the time comes for family and time comes for marriage and you just get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier as things pile, as, as the bodies pile up. It's a little ham-fisted as an allegory of that white dress is going to get grimier and grimier as time goes on. At the same time, it's kind of good. You don't, you're unconvinced. Um, yeah, I'm not, I think I, you think you could easily take the dress as sort of an example of, you know, like when you, you're, you're if you're playing with dirty people, you're going to get dirt on you. Sure. Yeah. But um, and, and 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 that it shows up so well in in the fact that you know like the whole reason why the bride wears white is that they're supposed to be virtuous, right? Right. So yeah. So as as this game goes on, you're losing more and more and more of your virtue. Yeah. Just by playing, let alone the fact that you yeah. literally yeah. get blood on your hands. Yeah. But um, I, it, I did take way more into the idea of like the kind of the class structure. It is, and that um, and and that is a good. A good theme that may or may yeah. not be executed um, very well. And and the family, because it goes out of its way to say that, you know, she's an orphan. She does not have mm-hmm. family there. So it's important to actually have them. Uh, yeah. Like, so she wants, she wants in. And it's, it's funny, too, because we see the two other people that are married into this family and how they've done. Like, one of them is a complete screw-up. They're, they're both, they're both, yeah, they're they're both levels of screw-up. <laughs> yeah. Right? One of them just kind of keeps killing Coke people head. by accident. Yeah. The other one is just a bumbling idiot. Yeah. You know? And and she's the one who has a chance to marry into this legacy 
and yeah. actually be, a, you know, like worthy. They reminded me a bit of the in-laws from the ref as well. <laughs> you don't hear enough about the ref yeah. these days. Unless you're talking to Kurt Havard. Right. Um, but uh, I, I think what's confusing, though, about the overall sort of allegory with like sort of the rich people yep. is the fact that the reasons that they're doing this is because is literally that if we don't do this, we're going to die. And it teases that towards the end that, you know, that, you know, maybe all this was for stupid, like it's all in their heads. But then it kind of goes, you know, it, it flips it. And I think that maybe undercut the allegory a little bit. I kind of like that. Like, we're not going to talk too much about the way this story ends. Mm-hmm. But I, I must admit that after all of the lunacy that this movie goes through in its first hundred minutes. Yeah. If the payoff had been, we're okay. Or if the payoff had been just, you know, they they are disposed of with much more normal means. I think it would, that would have been a letdown. To have yeah. to go through these kinds of shenanigans mm-hmm. and it be, we have to do this or else. Yeah. Or else better be really bloody yeah. good. But, Pardon the pun. Yeah. Uh, but it, it does very much have that very, like it is an extremely Sam Raimi. Oh yeah. It's, abs- it's absurd. Yeah. And it, uh, might, it might be the best, like it might be the best thing in the whole movie. Yeah. And it reminds also a little bit, obviously, of a scene in Kingsman where you're taking out elites yes. one by one. Yeah. And, and a pretty, you know satisfying way of watching that happen yeah um but uh i i do think that ending is maybe one of the things that's sort of lifting it above the three out of five on the rotten tomato score is i think if you sort of leave people with that sort of feeling you leave it on a one-liner yeah uh, like that i think people feel like okay yeah we're good yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that that's the whole adaptation uh uh Robert Mackey thing of, yeah. you know, like wow them in the third act and they'll forgive, they'll, they'll forgive everything else. Yeah. Um, because otherwise I do think there are a number of scenes when there's sort of like running around or action happening. Uh, I did find there are actually some scenes where it's kind of clumsy. We're like the way they're sort of cutting around, there's like a sequence in the, in the car when she's trying to break out of the car. Yeah. A sequence when they're having like a sacrifice and, and she's trying to get out of it yeah. where it's a little bit sort of like it cut a little, weird for me that I was a little confused about even when I mean how, how it was playing it's 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 kind of strange that anytime Grace isn't in the scene it always feels boring you know like yeah. when the in-laws are when the Ladumai are speaking among themselves yeah that's where it feels most Canadian too yeah though, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean it doesn't hurt that the that the patriarch is played by Harry Cherney but oh I mean the other person who usually tends to elevate whatever he happens to be around is Adam Brody Adam Brody knows exactly what movie he's in he plays it really, really well, even right down to, you know, Grace walks out of her little hiding spot when they're still trying to really track her down. And, uh, you know, Daniel, played by Adam Brody, is founder, you know, like, like but really, yeah. Yeah. Re- really, really dip in. He, he does really well with, with what he's handed. I mean, even just the way he's set up, like he, every, all these characters, we hear about them before we meet them. And he's supposed to be the brother who is always hitting on her. And the cool thing is the movie actually never really goes down that road. Like we never actually explicitly see him hit on her, but at the same time we see him talk to her in, in a really much more friendly way that shows, yeah. you know, he does like he, he, he likes her, likes her. Um, the rest of them though, Andy McDowell doesn't really do anything. Um, even the woman who plays the the sister, like the the kind of matriarch of the family, she's on like Winona Earp or something. Which yeah. I think that was supposed to be like an in joke with her always missing. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, she's, there's that, those kinds of things. Nobody else really does much. I mean, yeah. not even, not even uh, Alex. Like, Alex as, as I, the groom. Who I actually really of, disliked him, I'd say, of all the characters. Well, he's not given a whole lot to do. Yeah, I, I think more than you know, anything. They, they literally put him in a corner. Yeah, I think, more than one from, from no moment one, I'm just not really convinced that they're, like, what she sees in him. Mm-hmm. Like even and that which is important considering that you're supposed to especially considering that she doesn't care about his money yeah yeah um, and especially given like the nature of the secrets involved and how sort of uh, the turn that is sort of the decisions that he makes yeah and eventually ultimately makes uh, just make him just kind of being like I, I, I'm ready for him to sort of disappear from the movie long before uh, we get to the end yeah so um, you know in, in in a way, it's it's somewhat of a comedy. Did you laugh? Uh, You're having to think about it. Yeah, so. I'm not so sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, I kind of enjoyed watching watching things explode. Yes, uh, I, I watched. I enjoyed watching maids meet their end. I thought that, like that's uh, that's a weird running gag in 2019, but at the same time, it is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially like especially when the second one goes like yeah. the first the first one just feels like it comes out of nowhere yeah. when the second one goes it's like oh this is going to be a thing yeah you know? um, and then you're just waiting but I would say like but, uh, among those it is what, I think it does lean way more comedy than horror sure. and it's not necessarily that funny no. which maybe is a, maybe again indi- how it plays maybe the game. an indictment yeah. Um, like, again, like I'm one of the people I mentioned, I was like, you, you can, I can picture like, what's well, Edgar Wright's version mm-hmm. and those maid deaths in the Edgar Wright version in my head are going to be like hot fuzz. Oh, sure. When you, when that steeple lands on somebody, like they're going to be way more like, like there's just like a sense of mischief that, uh, you can tell they're very influenced by Sam Raimi, yeah. but they don't have the, the glee. No, that, no. And uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's one of the differences between, a Sam, like it's it's the difference between Raimi and Faux Raimi for sure, right? I I've never heard of either one of these two directors before. Um, I think they had a segment in VHS. But they did have a one. segment in VHS, yeah. But they're still very much like up and comers. Like they're, yeah. they're you know they're they're on their like fifth, fourth or fifth movie here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it feels like one of those things where like. But most of this, I think, is a script problem too. It's not yeah. even just—it's not even poor execution. Because as I said, this movie's handsome, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 it's—it doesn't trip over the scenery. It's well cut. It's well shot. There's not enough story to carry some of this stuff. Yeah, it's competent, but not—you know—it plays. Yeah, it, it played its ten minutes. It yeah. got its points. It didn't let in any goals, mm-hmm. and it went back to the bench and cashed its check. Were there was there anybody in the supporting cast that you really liked? Like we we love Samara Weaving, and we both certainly want to see her more stuff. Yeah. Uh, the Butler. Oh yes, I think he had some. He kind of sank his teeth into the moments that he had. Everything from his opening scene, sort of doing the conducting, to just like he's he's like very much enjoys his role. Like he doesn't feel like he's uh, he's got a thumb on on him as as a servant, or that he's he's not doing a thing sort of sort of desperation like he is devoted to that that family to the extent that i wonder like if if push had come to shove and he had survived till the dawn does his head does his head explode or not (laughs) i mean yeah like he he's it's one of those things where somebody is so much a part of the family yeah but are they really part of the family like that's a whole other brand of movie he's another canadian actor john ralston um who's been doing stuff like this entire century nothing that really jumps out at me 
apparently he was in the informant. Um, but not the informant one that I'm thinking. Not the informant with an exclamation mark. He was in the Canadian informant. Oh. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, he's not bad. I mean, I, you know, I, I've gone on and on about uh, about the, 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 the matriarch of the family. And, yeah, it's... I, I think... Adam Brody is the only other person who really stands out. Henry Cherney does his normal Henry Cherney thing. He really chews a lot of the scenery and sells the, you know, the faux gravitas of all this. He, of all of them, felt the most like came out of a Joss Whedon. Yes. Yeah. 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 You, you can, can plug him into being in the boardroom of Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Very, you, very I'm easily. hoping to see a merman. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, and that's the thing is that the, this movie is okay in its okayness. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's kind of like in that regard, like fits into like the mode of like your happy death days kind of like perfectly acceptable. Sure. It's, yeah. It's, it's very much an end of summer type movie. It's not gonna light any houses on fire. Mm-hmm. Samara weaving is going to have a nice little career coming out of this. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully do some much better things, but everybody else just cashed their checks and went home. I think, you know, like on this show, we try not to get too far into tangents of other films when we're talking about a singular film. But if it wasn't the same year that movies like Midsummer yeah. came out and movies like us came out, I might think very differently of this, but the genre is doing so many better things these days that just cashing it in on something dumb and fun, it feels like a waste of talent. Yeah. And there are, if you dig around enough, there's a lot of very low budget, high concept movies that sure. have, you know, a lot of, frankly, like they, they also might have mediocre, very Canadian kind of yeah, actors. Yeah, yeah. And like, I could think of one on Netflix, like Circle. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and, but they'll rubber. Yeah. But, but they'll completely uh, nail it. Yes. And, and that's within their own. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Like, like it doesn't it, feel singular. It doesn't feel like, no, but this is a, this is a product that these people made and all these people could make. This is a product that, you know, like I can tell like they, they, the directors cared about it and stuff like that, but they didn't care about it in the, like so much so that I can't picture dozens of other, uh, filmmakers, Wanting to do this kind yeah, of yeah, doing doing something uh, equal or, or greater yeah, um, and and pushing the envelope. And this is and this is the this is the problem with the movie is yeah. that I can see I can see this playing just great at Toronto After Dark. I can see this playing just great at Fantasia. Yeah. everybody leaving the theater really happy. Yeah, but when you're watching it in the middle of a Saturday, and you paid thirteen bucks and the theater is half empty and it's people who are just there to see a movie, not there to see, yeah. you know, people get shot with crossbows and run through dump, you know, like run yeah. through mansions. Yeah. It's going to play with its, it's, it's got to show its stripes and its stripes aren't that great. I would be very happy if someone like remade this in 15 sure. years. Yeah. If so, yeah. you know, I, I'd certainly like, I'd certainly like to see this with somebody who's like a little bit more, I'd like to see a script rewrite of take the same idea yeah. And, and, and redo it. And I'm sure that there are movies that we're not thinking of off the top of our heads that do this kind of thing much better. Oh, there's definitely like there's a ton of movies that yeah. have. Like basically, if you think about it, the plot is The Hunger Games. Well, it is. It's an elite society that requires to, you know, hunt people in order to... Coming up in our next segment on the <laughs> other side. Um, well, you, obviously, we, we both kind of were in the middle of the road in this movie, but we do like to end our... 
reviews here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. There are a lot of tangible items in this movie that you could, if you could, you would take away and keep. Corey Pierce, what is your souvenir from Ready or Not? Uh, I would love to have a house that had those little hidden uh, passageways. The, yeah, those, those servants' quarters? Yeah, the servants. Or those the servants', servants passages? Servants' passages, Those yeah. are handy. Yeah, sounds good. Even just to get from, like, upstairs to downstairs real quick. Yeah. You know, on top of being able to, like, get from A to B without being seen. I would install, basically, like, a slide. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah, I would totally do that. Th those were pretty cool. I would just like to wander around that house. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, like, properly, too. Not even, like, take the take the nickel tour. But yeah. I want you to show me, like, yeah. show me the goat, show me the goat pen. You yeah, know, like, like that kind and of thing. I thought about making the souvenir be the little object that dispenses the card. Yeah, but they made this box. big speech and, and deal out of it, but it didn't seem that interesting. No, and they pass that box around the table, and I'm like, why did you just do that? Yeah, like is everybody supposed to tap it for luck or something? Yeah, yeah. like it just like, seems to be showing the box and everybody seeing the box. It, it doesn't feel like it's like a randomizer thing. Like it feels like it's designed no. to put the card in and for it to just print hide and seek on the card. Yeah, like it, it feels rigged. Well, and I, like I didn't know that it printed the card. Like they, yeah. they 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 didn't really drill that one home that it's a printer. Yeah, you know that it's a, it's a 19th century printer yeah. of all things. It's it, it's like okay, it's a weird little like Japanese finger trap or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think so, that, so I that's think that like, is one area where they really kind of dropped the ball. Yeah, they, they, yeah, you know, I'm when it comes to like a crime film, I'm usually really big on motive. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is like the motive of this game was really, really blurry. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of, I would, there's a lot of games that we see in this movie, like a lot of like boxes of board games that look really cool in the background. And like the family goes to like strides to kind of like put out their works. And I, I, I would like to just like kind of take a weekend at this house and play every one of those games. Um, you know, we're in an age where, like, board game cafes are doing blockbuster business. So that's the kind of thing I would like to do is I'd like to go to this house, hmm. try every single one of these games, and, you know, maybe take them home. Um, we rate here on the Matinee cast on a scale of one four stars. Corey Pierce, what do you give, ready or not, on a scale of one four? Uh, two and a half. Yeah, that's me too. Um, this is, it's fine. It's, it's nothing to write home about. It's nothing tremendously offensive. Coming away from this movie, somebody ahead of me was talking about how it was the worst film he'd ever seen. I'm like, <laughs> you do not watch enough movies. Sir. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't go out of your way. But hey, if it's on on a Saturday night, just leave it and, you know, pour yourself some wine and have some laughs. Um, hey, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you think that this is the best film of the year. Maybe you think that this is an absolute atrocity. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee. Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think? I'm ready or not. Come on back after this. We are going to flip the record over and play the other side in just a second. We are back. He's Corey Pierce. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's Matinee Cast 230, last one of the season before we take a break for TIFF. We've been talking about Ready or Not, the uh, end of summer thriller, if you can call it that. <laughs> um, but uh, as we just said towards the end of the review, it is very much a hodgepodge of other films and other films that do what it wants to do better. Uh, get us going, sir. What was a movie that you came away thinking of 
uh, after you watch Ready or Not? Uh, well, a lot of them, and we named a few of them already, but I'll also throw in the mix uh, a recent film called Mom and Dad. I do not know Nicolas this Cage. Tell me about this one. Uh, Nicholas Cage and Selma Blair. Uh, okay. Very simply, uh, there's like a mysterious virus where for 24 hours, every parent in the world is trying to kill their kids. What? And so basically Nicolas Cage has gone completely rabid with them. And it's basically just full on Tom and Jerry mode of them trying to trying to get their kids. Is and, it funny uh, or is it really, really uh, freaky? No, it's, it's I'd say it's funny. Okay. I mean, it's it, it's definitely kind of a B movie, but it, it it was one of those recent movies that sort of marked like Nicolas Cage starting to make a few better decisions again, like this and Mandy. Okay, um, which I still haven't seen. Yeah, uh, and uh, there's I, I can't spoil it because you haven't seen it. No, but uh, there is like a moment, like a halfway in in the film, um, that really sort of kicks it up a notch. Okay, that is not that is basically oh of course, but also uh, you know you didn't necessarily see it. How did you come across this movie in the first place? Uh, I just remember just the campaign and really? and the posters and just the concept of being like, okay, mom and dad are going to go kill the kids. So I'm like, okay, sure, let's go kill the kids. Um, it's from like two and years so, ago, I hadn't even heard. Uh, of it. it's Janu- I, I mean, it's a January movie, so yeah, again, yeah. like, I don't really like to label movies by when they come out in the year, but mm-hmm. if you're out in January or you're out in August, there's a pretty clear indicator of what I need to expect. Yeah, yeah. Um, in some ways, that can help. Whether a, a movie is a horror or a horror comedy like this one, I, I, I definitely take the time to sit back and say, like, okay, what does this say about our current fears, whether sort of real or just sort of like... Then we're afraid of our parents? Uh, yeah. There's an undercurrent in Ready or Not where that, that's sort of like, you know, like, oh, your in-laws or there's something scary about being, you know, you're, you're not just attached to one person, but you've got all these people you're going to have to start seeing for the rest of your life, even if it's only occasionally... Yeah. And, uh, you know, that you're, you're part of like a tree now, uh, <laughs> and that can be kind of horrifying. I know I've got a number of relatives I don't necessarily enjoy being part of the same tree of. That dress uh, gets messier and messier. Yeah. You know, as time um, on. And so likewise, I, I think, uh, mom and dad, as well as, uh, almost like a flip side of some of the other like movies where they're just like, let's go kill all the people who, who annoy us, like God bless America. Yeah. There's How just is- like a, like a trying to tap into someone's like inherent sort of like oh my god so my kids just frustrate me sometimes Let's how is selma blair in this movie um uh, very selma blair i mean <laughs> nothing necessarily nothing sort of above or below what you would expect because i mean if you're playing opposite nick cage you, you think you need to kick it up a further notch but i think she's completely capable of, of okay of holding her court okay. with him mom and dad all right i'll, I'll check that out as mm-hmm. soon as i can find it um I th- i'm not sure if it's on prime video but i thought i saw it on i'll oh, find it somehow um, the first one that came up for me, you know, it's it's kind of an obvious poll, uh, but it also it just happened to be on TV this week, so I really thought that it fit. Um, and it actually it's it's apropos today because uh, it's the director's birthday today. Um, I thought about going back to 1997, uh, David Fincher's The Game. Hmm. Um, I'm sure everybody's seen this by now, but a rich person, played by Michael Douglas starts playing this very elaborate role play game where he's just basically got to solve all these weird clues that are thrown his way and get out of the game. And every time he thinks he's out of the game, the game just kind of keeps on going. I do like the idea of putting somebody into a challenge, right? I like, it's one of those, I mean, we pay for that now, right? Like we pay for things like escape rooms and, and those kinds of things. We pay for the privilege, of doing that kind of thing. So I do like the idea of putting somebody into, you know, into, into the, the finger trap and say, all right, guys, now get yourself out. 
Yeah. Um, the game does it really, really well um, in a lot of its subtleties. You know, yeah. it's it's the kind of film that rewards rewatch because you start to pick up little little things here and there that were put there deliberately that you missed yeah. the first time around. I believe it's a movie that has aged really well, um, which not a lot of the movies of the era can say, which is funny in itself because it was kind of a flop. Yeah. Um, I, I really li- I both really, really like the game, but really, I, really I know I know a lot of people, you know, like, and I would agree that there is like a like, oh, come on-ness to it. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'd consider it one of those things that's sort of like a conspiracy buster. You know huh. what I mean? That basically makes you think like, okay, you're a conspiracy theorist. I want you to think of all the different people who have to be in part to sort of, you know, pull anything like this off. Mm. And even what it takes to even pull something like this off and how sort of implausible it seems. Yeah. Uh, and how perfect everyone has to sort of be. Mm-hmm. I mean, because uh, in comparison to the game, I would throw out that one Black Mirror episode, White Bear where everybody's sort of in on, like, we need to direct this one captive person to a specific location so we can have our big reveal. Because we're, have you seen that episode? No, it's like, it's like the Truman Show almost, right? Sort of, yeah, yeah. Everybody's always got to be on their mark. It's it's basically a a park where a a woman's being um, punished for her crimes. And so everybody, there's basically tourists are, are, are in there videotaping and watching while there are people who are actually paid to sort of be in that park, but they need to direct her in one spot for basically the finish of the show. Um, I mean, the game also, you know, when we're talking about like Canadian content, uh, the game also has Deborah Unger um, as, you know, like the the main actress in in it that goes along with, um, is she Canadian? She is Canadian. There we go. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that, that, fuels Michael Douglas along. It's got Sean Penn before he really started taking himself too seriously. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of nutters to me to look back on the filmmakers that are now considered like prestige or fanboy prestige or whatever you want and look at the movies that didn't click. Right. And this is a movie, it came after seven. It was the follow up to seven and everybody was so stoked and it just kind of came and went and died. Yeah. And now it's this movie that a lot of people actually like really go back to and like, oh my God, that movie's amazing. Um, what else did you have as a, as a movie that we could go on uh, to? I, I have not seen it in the longest time, but I did think of The Running Man. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, obviously the Schwarzenegger movie where he's uh, in a game show, basically. And you have to basically earn your your freedom. Yeah. 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 With, Je- with uh, Jesse Ventura... Is is one of the is one of the actors in that movie? I can't remember who the oh that's so the hang on a second I gotta call that one. It's up. been so long yeah, ago I, mean, I couldn't even speak to it in detail. So it's more just a shout out, really. I mean um, that one. It's it's crazy with that one because in a way it suits this film and how over the top this film wants to go at times, right? Yeah. Because the Running Man, it's very eighties in the way that. It goes over the top with its action, um, with its sets, with its set pieces mm-hmm. are also bananas. Like you, you know, you started the show by talking about UHF, and yeah. this is a show that's kind of a weird step cousin to UHF in in the challenges that it puts out mm-hmm. there. Richard Dawson from the Family Feud is the host of this game show where criminals like fight for their lives. Usually, they only make it one round. Like that's yeah. the thing. Usually, they throw these criminals out into this game and they're usually killed the first round. Yeah. So when one of these gladiators happens to fall, 
at the hands of Arnold Schwarzenegger, because of course, um, the entire audience is just shocked. Yeah. They're like, what? He won a round? Are you kidding? They're, 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 they start like start grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's that, that movie is nuts. Uh, I don't know how well it's aged. <laughs> there's the very similarly themed trio of uh, Battle Royale, Hunger Games, and The Condemned as well yeah yeah and that's you know like those ones they all kind of go out there and do the same kind of thing yeah they they do try to see who can do it better because i think it gets into a whole other realm when it's kids yeah you know um and and that would be the thing too is that if we were watching ready or not and it was all the the youngest members like if, if those two nephews were who had to chase her we might be here talking about a very different movie yeah you know um yeah, the, the, those ones are all. Yeah, yeah. What separates it from like a Hunger Games is that, uh, like the president, uh, President Snow, yeah. has his hands off, like he's mysterious off in the corners, and for that matter, so are the resistance or whatever. Right. Um, and so basically, he's he's using, uh, like the uh, there are basically other elite kids. You know, then they're not they're not capital elites, but they are upper class elites that they're basically using to be the ones that basically take them out and win. And they're just sort of keeping like a structure in place. Like they basically have this superstition, like if we don't keep this up, everything's going to fall apart. It kind of reminds me of a book that I just finished reading. And I can't remember the title because I've read a few, I've read several books that had similar titles this year. So bear with me. But anyways, uh, I'll fill the time by saying that. Although also like uh, the Hunger Games, uh, it goes out of its way to say like those elites in the capital that basically they're not like us and literally they make them wear the most over the top garish clothing um and they, in the books they puke up the food so that they can eat more food yeah yeah and and literally they are outside of the rules yeah yeah um and they have literally like the person the game maker itself is a character in the hunger games and uh and and you follow him around as well um i was reading a book called heartland which is all about the um, the people who live in Middle America, like the the writers from Kansas. Yeah. So she talks about the people from Kansas, not the people from like Wichita or Topeka, Kansas. She talks about like you know small town Kansas that's like two thousand people, if that, maybe one thousand people, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she brings up is a lot of the times when you and then this comes up both in the hunger games and any kind of movie where it's about one class putting down another class is the entire structure depends on people in the middle, not really realizing how low down they are, you know? So you have a lot of people in Canada and America thinking, Oh, we're not poor. Like, you know, we don't need this kind of social assistance or whatever. We don't need to take advantage of this program. That's for poor people. And it's like, no, no, no. You know what? In comparison to everything in comparison to how much is on top, you are poor. Yeah. You know, don't you don't want to tell yourself that that's fine, but that is the truth. There's no difference to the elites from us and the person on the subway back in the exactly. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I even think of um, To Kill a Mockingbird, where Scout asks Atticus Finch, "Are we poor, Papa?" And he says, "Yep, yes, we are." Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's a lawyer, yeah, right? but he can see with clear eyes. This is the life we are in. This is the kind of house we live in. I am a learned member of this community, and yet I still know how closely we are scraping bone. Yeah. We are poor, daughter mine. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the kind of thing that these kinds of movies where one class takes another class to put down the even lower class. And mm-hmm. like, you're both poor. One of you is just less. Right? 
Um, the other movie that I thought of to go along with this, and again, it's a movie that's not very complicated, but it just seemed to do everything better, was Your Next. Okay, I have that movie. I don't remember a whole lot about it. It's Ten Little It Indians. does feel it's like in the Indians. same class of... Uh, yeah, of, it's, uh, it's an upper-class family. They're really wealthy. They're all in a house. There's intruders, mm-hmm. and they just start getting picked off one by one. Um, there's some, there's some good, there's some good scares. There's some good kills. Kind of like what we, you know, there's a scene in, um, there's a scene in Ready or Not where she's got the shotgun shells across her and the the converse on her feet, and the, she's holding the shotgun and she looks at herself in the mirror and she's like, Jesus. I did right. actually like that about the movie that it's it's self aware enough to know that I look really badass, but this is absurd. Yeah. Um, your next does the same sort of thing. That final girl has a really great final girl pose where she just steps into the window frame with an axe, and it's it, it, again, it's not doing anything new. It's not. It's doing as I said. It's just taking them out one by one. Literally, you're next. Um, but it does it with so much more panache. The jokes land. The kills land. Um, the cast all does what they need to do so much better that it it's you know it's not a large margin of error in these movies and yet sometimes it seems like you could land a plane in that margin so i mean we could knock off just mention cabin in the woods again um yeah and specifically more like the idea of just people sort of like uh masterminding like the situations and putting them through it um and also just that they literally have to do it or else Mm-hmm. something insanely like apocalyptic is going to happen to everyone. That's and the genius of that movie, really. You know, I'm because not the hugest Cabin in the Woods fan. No, actually, me neither. So. But at the same time, like I, I, when I thought it was going to be a meta twist on horny horror of, yeah. the, of the 1980s, I was like, didn't we already do that with like Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer and those kind of movies? Mm-hmm. So the fact that it puts that whole... yeah. Uh, machinations of why they're doing it behind it. Yeah. That was where I really thought it was really good, and who they get in there to do it too. Yeah, but I, I just think more about the idea of like we have to, the more like that we have to do this. Like it's horrible, but we have to do this, so we might as well enjoy ourselves. Yeah. Um. So and I just sort of think that's definitely something that's kind of relevant. Uh, sure. With the state of the world right now, I guess. Another one, one more that I'll bring up before we go as a movie that was actually better than it needed to be um especially where it is in its whole legacy was the most recent halloween that came out last autumn right uh the one that was directed by david gordon david gordon green yeah um it does a couple things that are really cool like the first thing that it does that's really cool is um laurie is now much older laurie is now in an age where she's kind of got that sarah connor yeah thing about her which is really cool to take the fresh-faced ingenue babysitter and turn her into the, you know, well-prepared badass is over the course of 40 years is a really great spin, number one. But number two, what I love about that movie is that movie has toxic masculinity in its crosshairs. Yeah. Every guy in that movie, one, is shit. And every guy in that movie gets his due, even the ones that seem like the good guys. Yes. Right? So, like, the, the the final girl in that movie has a male best friend, and he's not as, you know, 
he's not as evolved as he seems to be. Her boyfriend seems to be really progressive. Like they go to uh, they go to the Halloween dance and they're dressed as Bonnie and Clyde, but he's dressed as Bonnie. So oh look, here is a hot hetero dude who's completely comfortable dressing up as Bonnie Parker. He must be so evolved. No, no, he's not. And he gets what's coming to him in this movie. So there's a movie, again, like not not on the level of something like Us or Midsummer or Hereditary or those kinds of really well executing horror movies it's just a franchise film yeah but it executes and it has something to say that does really well yeah uh to that end i completely uh just reminds me that there's like an ongoing thing where uh a rom-com that seems like it's going to have like an ending like i'm going to end up with the guy Mm -hmm. and then she just sort of like turns him down or they just friends or walks away right and he kind of pisses some people off that they're that they're doing that but uh this sort of like uh, spiritually sort of seems in the same zone by the end that, you know, this movie doesn't sort of need to end with them sort of going through it together and being stronger together or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more like having gone through this, you know, you realize that, you know, this thing that she thought she longed for and maybe no, not if it's going to be like this. The, yeah, the, this, this family, this person in this family that wasted her offering up her life, right? Yeah. Like that's the thing is she's saying, I'll play your silly little game. Yeah. I will have my ceremony here. I will mm-hmm. dress up in, you know, like it's great that you're paying for all this, but this is really not me. Yeah, because I love this guy, but they. That he he had no excuse. He ultimately he's a yeah he's a complete yep coward. Yep. Yeah. So um, there we go. Like I, I think what we're trying to say is, you know, like we said, there are other movies that you can watch that are like mm-hmm. Ready or Not that do what it wants to do better. And maybe that's your uh, your better go. But at there's something end. that can be said though. Like I find this sometimes even with music. Like it's the, fine. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's but not... it's more like uh, if someone says like, "Oh, describe what faith no more sounds like." Oh, and then I then I name like 20 different yeah. things in order to get there. Sometimes when you can do when you do that, it's sort of a compliment to what you're describing. Yeah, and like that... if you need to go that many different areas to to get something, it must mean they must do, be doing something. I mean. You know, a movie like this, the, the 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 easiest way to describe it is not bad. Yeah. But are you saying it's not bad, or are you saying it's not bad? You know, like, like mm-hmm. th- 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 there, there's a lot of yeah. <laughs> a lot of gray area in that gray area is what I'm trying to say. And and again, if if I you know I went and paid full popcorn on a Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. if somebody is just flipping channels and they come across it, hey, you could do way worse. Yep. You know. And it's uh, short. Yeah. If somebody's paying twenty five dollars to watch it in VIP. They're going to have a whole other, you know, they're going to want to come mm-hmm. very $10 at the uh, Market Square Cinemas yeah, and the recliners. Yeah, $1 at your at your cinema up in your hometown. Yeah. They're, they're laughing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that is episode 230 of the Matinee Cast. Um, thanks again for a really great season. Uh, come on back. On Monday, October 7th, we will be talking about Joker and uh, getting into uh, the fall where all the awesome movies come from. Uh, Corey Pierce is uh, are you, Corey Pierce is on Twitter yelling about the whole wide world. Yeah. Uh, yell at him. He loves when that happens. Where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, find me at Occam's Ranker. You'll know you've got it right if you find the puppet head. Very nice. Uh, of course, there'll be a link in the site. And uh, I do want to thank Corey for coming by. My site is matinee.ca. For more audio content, you can go and find back episodes by going to the matinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Spotify, whatever the heck Apple is doing these days and the iTunes, whatever it is everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts 
when new episodes drop. Once again, if you use a podcatcher that my show is not listed on, let me know. I will put it there. Feedback on Ready or Not or any of the other movies we talked about today can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, or I'm matinee underscore CA or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. Any final thoughts, buddy? Uh, no. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great September. We'll see you at TIFF. For Corey, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the night. Oh, a mighty wind's a-blowing. It's kicking up the sand. It's blowing out a message to every woman, child, and man. Yes, a mighty wind's a-blowing. Across the land and across the sea. It's blowing peace and freedom.